Father, now we lift up our hearts into your holy room to hear from you. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us hearts for your word, that delight in your word, that hold fast to your word. People who accept your word for the way it's written. Now bless us with your word for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. One of the things that uh, I have not liked very well over 38 years are the phone calls from people who want to help the church out. You know, for example, a photo directory. Here, come, we'll give you a free photo directory. How are you going to give us a free photo directory? Well, I know how they're going to do it. They're going to call you in, take your picture, give us a free photo directory, and then twist your arm to buy the photos they took. So I give them a tongue lashing. But the other one I dislike, and it happens quite frequently, is that people call up from Christian organizations that are fundraisers, and they want to come and raise money for you. Of course, the money they raise, they're going to get a certain percentage of it. And I say, well, we don't need money. No, every church needs money. Aren't you building or something? Or exp No, we don't need money. When you come to Chronicles and uh, you think about how money was raised, it's quite something. And it looks back to uh, Exodus in the building of the tabernacle. And you have to give a little thought to it. So when uh, Israel came out of Egypt, they, they, they plundered the Egyptians by borrowing clothing and all kinds of stuff and jewels, and they took it with them and out they went because the people were just happy to get rid of them after the angel of death passed over their houses. And they went out into the wilderness and they encountered the Amalekites and they won that battle and plundered them. So they had lots of goods with which each person contributed to build the tabernacle and everything associated with it. In fact, the contributions were so great that they had to tell the people to bring no more. I don't think that's happened in the history of the United States, probably, because if people bring more, they're just happy to have it. Well, in Chronicles, as we come to the last chapter, and you know, we've been thinking about this for a long time, going all the way back to the revolution of introducing psalms at the tabernacle really made for the temple. So we've been thinking about the temple almost all the way back to chapter 17. And then there's so much re repetition. What we see in 29 is said much of it in 28, which is said much of it in 22, which tells us that the Lord wants us to get a point, I suppose, huh? because after all, he's the author of scriptures and uh, he tells us what he wants us to know. 
So when we come to chapter 29, we come to the gathering of all the materials for the temple. Then we come to a blessing from King David. Then we come to a blessing from the whole assembly. And then we come to a party. And then finally, Solomon is inaugurated as king as he's anointed made king the second time, which simply tells us back in chapter 28, or maybe back in chapter 22, when it was not the whole assembly, he was announced as king and set forth as king, but now the whole assembly is involved. You see that word a few times in chapter 29, all the assemblies there. By the way, that word assembly, kohel, is the word that you find in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, the preacher is the one who speaks to the assembly. He's, he's the Kohelite. He's the assembly speaker, which turns out to be Solomon, just for fun. So in chapter 29, if you're not there, turn to chapter 29. We see two sections in the first nine verses. I'm not going to reread them because of our time. But in verses 1 through 5, David tells about what he has done. And so he brings all of this stuff, uh, gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and precious stones, and then he brings from his own treasury gold and silver to overlay the buildings of the temple. And notice in chapter 29, you see the word, the word temple or palace, depending on translation. This word is rarely used in the Bible. It is a Persian word that comes from the Persian Empire, which is fitting because Chronicles is written after the exile to encourage the people not to be like the nation of Israel, but to be different. And it is Cyrus to whom the Lord said, build a temple, a citadel. For my name. And so he sent the people back to do just that. That's in our chapter, the temple or, or the palace, depending on your translation. It is the word citadel. It's the fortress. It's the center of the city around which everything thrives and is protected and guarded. Now they are gathering. David is gathering because he says, you know, Solomon is young and inexperienced. The word is tender. He's like, he's like a soft little kid. He doesn't know much yet. How is he going to build this, this house, this temple? It is not just a regular house. It is the house for God. It's got to be different. It's got to be better. It's got to be spectacular. And uh, back in chapter 28, we saw that it, this house is for fame. The word fame is name. This house is is where the name of Yahweh dwells. This is Yahweh's house. And so David brings all of this stuff. Well, my goodness, he brings a lot of stuff. Then he brings his own private treasury. The first stuff, where'd he get it from? Well, all you have to do is read back in chapters 18, 19, and 20. And he was engaged in warfare, bringing rest to the kingdom so that Solomon might reign, and he 
plundered those nations so that he took in people. He took in silver. He took in gold. He took all kinds of stuff, but that was not his stuff. It's stuff to build Yahweh's house. And my goodness, this is exactly what we are doing today. We are plundering Satan's kingdom to build a temple for Yahweh. How do we plunder? We take the stones out of Satan's kingdom and they become living stones and they're put into Yahweh's kingdom. We're doing the same thing. And when you come to the book of Revelation, all the glory of the nations come into the city. What is that all about? It's all about beautifying that city that lies in the future. Well, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a symbol because it's the wife of the lamb and most wives aren't cities. So it, it's a picture, but it's picking up on all this imagery that God takes from the wicked and he uses that stuff for himself. But in addition, David says, okay, well, I have my own storehouse from which I wish to contribute because I delight in the house of Yahweh. It thrills me, the house of Yahweh. Look down at verse 5 and look at the last little sentence. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to Yahweh? Now, maybe in the margins, I don't know what your Bibles have, it might tell you what the real translation here, but the word consecrate is not there. This is the word that is used of ordaining priests, and it is two words that mean to fill the hand. Who this day will fill the hand to the Lord? He's just listed all the plunder he's gotten. He's described the treasure of stuff. And now he's saying to the people, who will fill the hand for the Lord? And so we get a description in 6, 7, and 8 of the filling of the hand for the Lord. All the stuff that this assembly with its commanders and its princes and its chiefs and its heads of the tribe brought to Yahweh. Again, just a huge storehouse. You can see why the temple complex is going to need storehouses. It's a word then that does exactly what we've been talking about. So when you look at the description back in chapter 29, and we only looked at it briefly in chapter 28 of this temple, the pattern for the temple, we looked at all this different kind of furniture that's in there, and lo and behold, the priests are part of the furniture. This is Yahweh's house, and his throne is there, his sea is there, his altar is there, and he's got people there that are just as much furniture to do the surface, service of the house of Yahweh. And now he's saying to the people, how many of you will join in the ordination, fill your hands with stuff for this house, and be priests with us? After all, Israel is called the kingdom of priests. Same, too, is the church, a kingdom of priests. And so the people fill their hands with all their goods, and they bring all of that stuff and they contribute it, and it is stored up for the building of this temple that has Yahweh's name attached to it, a temple that is unparalleled in history, 
in cost, in worth, in beauty, in, uh, in sway, in name, in power, in strength. Never has a temple existed like that before until now. And that temple now is not made up of stones and mortar and jewels and precious stones and gold and silver. That temple now has more power than it had in Solomon's day. That temple is God's people temple. That's why I remind you, if this is the progress of the Bible, who would ever think that a stone temple would be built again? Because the temple in the Old Testament was a picture of the people and we're moving forward and now the people have arrived and God lives, as it says in Ephesians, he dwells in this temple made up of Jew and Gentile and this temple has more power than ever and what we're going to see as we look into David's blessing is we need to be reminded of the greatness of the one that dwells in his temple today and not shy away, but be bold and speak out for Christ and live for Christ. And remember, we must hold the Christ because remember back in chapter 28, David says to Solomon, seek Yahweh and he will let you find him. You forsake him and he will reject you forever. Hmm. Hmm. Solomon kind of did that, didn't he? He forsook Yahweh. So I have a warning to everybody in this room, anyone who's beginning to think, dabbling with the idea, well, maybe the Bible's just not true. Maybe this stuff really doesn't make a lot of difference. <laughs> Seek after the Lord. He'll let you find him. But you turn aside, and you are doomed do not forsake him. So look, if you would, then down at chapter 29, verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to Yahweh with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. So this free will offering took this wide open heart. Well, we've been discussing this and we've mentioned it several times. This whole heart, the whole is the word Solomon with a Solomon heart, a shalom heart, a heart that's at peace, a heart that rests in God and realize what better thing could I do? This is where life is. This is where happiness is. And so it's not begrudging. It's not unwilling. It's like what Paul says to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. God loves a cheerful giver. Ha, 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 ha. Remember the Steve Green song? For kids, God loves the cheerful. <laughs> I couldn't resist. The word is hilarity in Greek. So when you make your way out and you drop it in the box, just start laughing, okay? Now, 
These offerings are free will offerings. So you think about the offerings of the Old Testament, and uh, you look at Leviticus, and you have three right in a row. They're all put together. You have an ascension offering, a grain offering, and a peace offering. The peace offering, Leviticus chapter 7 explains to us, comes in several forms. There's a thank offering that's a peace offering. There's a free will offering that's a peace offering. There's a votive offering that's a peace offering. What's essential to all of them is you eat it along with the priests and Yahweh himself. His portion, of course, goes on the altar and goes up in the smoke, comes up to his temple, and he breathes it in, and he's at rest. Well, this is a peace offering. Now, it's not an animal, because it's gold and silver and precious stones, but you're going to see, as we read, they are going to eat peace offerings, sacrifices. But it's a free will offering, and it means just that. It's voluntary. Now, in the Old Testament, need I say, in the New Testament as well, there is a tax that is called an offering. We call it a tithe, 10%. It's made law in the Mosaic law, but it is prior to the Mosaic law when Abraham came back from defeating the kings and he met Melchizedek, the king of righteousness and the king of Salem. And of all the spoils, he gave him 10%. And that is picked up in Hebrews, New Covenant times. And it's held out as an example. So for all who think the law has completely passed, of course, I don't really think anybody thinks that totally. But let's be reminded, there's a whole lot of stuff in the Old Testament, including the seventh day of rest, that is prior to the law. And so when we throw the law out, we certainly can't be saying, oh, let's throw out a seventh day of rest. Although many people do that, it is incorrect. And a lot of people say, and I've heard it taught, and I dare say I used to teach it, until I grew up, that was somewhere around 55 years old, that is. There's a tithe in the New Testament. It's not just grace giving, free will giving. Grace giving is free will giving. So when Paul writes to the churches in Chronicles, I mean Corinthians and elsewhere, he's saying this is not by way of compulsion. This is not to give them ease and give you pain. No, this is because God's been gracious to you. But it's voluntary. Voluntary. And much of what you read in the New Testament is talking about a free will offering. It's voluntary. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But just like in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, God expects 10% for the service of his ministry. That tells you something. If Yahweh God requires 10%, lo be the government that will come to him one day and say, well, we took 25% from the people. What? 
If the king of kings only takes 10, no government should take even only less than the king of kings takes. Do I hear an amen? Yeah. Knew I'd get you there. So, they rejoiced that they offered so willingly, with a whole heart, an open heart, a restful heart, a shalom heart, a Solomon heart. When you give to the Lord, of course, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a shalom heart, a whole heart, a heart at peace, not, you know, oh man, I gotta give money. So, verses one through nine are talking about the free will offering that helped build the temple that was the most magnificent temple, a temple made for the name of the Lord that was, uh, all its walls were coated with gold and silver, something hard to even imagine. Look at verse 10. So David blessed Yahweh in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, now, Blessing, of course, you can, you can put your hands on somebody and you can bless them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and so forth. And that's what Jesus did with little babies and children. He took them in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. Now you have the king of the universe blessing little children. Do you think his prayer was I hope this happens. No, his blessing was, you will be blessed. So there's that kind of blessing where as men in the Bible, like Aaron, he held up his hands to signify that he's calling down from God a blessing. And he was told to do that, by the way. And then there's another kind of blessing whereby you talk about the greatness of somebody. In that sense, you're blessing them. So in, uh, in Greek, we have the word eulogy, which is translated bless. And we use it in, uh, in funerals. We eulogize, which is, comes from the word good and the word to speak. Speak good words. And of course, after you're dead, people speak a lot more good words about you than they did while you were alive. And, of course, when people are dead, some of the things that are spoken as goodness really aren't quite true, but after all, the person's dead. So David blessed Yahweh in the sight of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed art thou, O Yahweh, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Yahweh is the greatness and the power and the beauty is the word and the victory and the majesty indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth thine is the dominion the kingdom O Yahweh and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. He goes on. 
both riches and honor come from thee, and thou dost rule over all, and in thy hand is power and might, and it lies in thy hand to make great, to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee, and we praise thy glorious name. Now, this house is being built for this Yahweh God, and this Yahweh God has a name that is great and powerful and mighty and beautiful, and David is saying, hey, everything that there is is yours. And you're the one who can make people great. And you're the one who can make people rich. And you're the one that can strengthen everyone. Conversely, you're the one that can minimize people. You're the one who can make people sick. You're the one who can bring them down. That's all included in the thought. In other words, this temple, this citadel, where the great king's name dwells, this is so important to us, and we have contributed willingly because of who you are. And now I say to you, God, great things, and we as an assembly, we give you thanks. Well, of course, we could explore every word that's written there. We don't have time to do that. But notice he goes on. Now he's... He's told of all the greatness of God. I hope you think of God that way. His name is glorious. The word is Tifera, beautiful. His name is great. It's majestic. His name is victorious. It means it's eternal victory. His name is majestic. That's a word that's used of the clothing of kings and the headdress. God is great. But notice what he says in verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from thee. And from thy hand we have given thee. We've given to thee. For we are sojourners before thee. And tenants. It's another word for a sojourner. We're just temporary. We're sojourners. As all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. It doesn't even last a day when you think about it in time. The sun comes up and the shadows are cast and the sun goes down and the life is over. And there is no hope, says the New American Standard. If you have a new, if you have an ESV, it says there's no abiding. The word has to do with waiting. In other words, we're not going to keep waiting. Why? Because we're going to die. We're just a shadow. Oh, Yahweh, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build thee 
a house for thy holy name. It is from thy hand, and all is thine. Since I know, O oh my God, that thou triest the hearts and delightest in uprightness, I in the integrity, it's the same root, in the uprightness of my heart have willingly, have willingly offered all these things so now with joy I have seen thy people who are, uh, who are present here make, uh, make, sorry about that, make, uh, willing, uh, make offerings willingly to thee. So here's David with all this joy. And what is he saying? He's saying, God, look, you are this big. And who are we? We're nothing. We're just absolute. We, we're like a shadow that passes by. And everything in the heavens and everything on the earth, it's all yours. You created it. And you make some people great, and you make some people powerful, and you make some people rich. How is it we could contribute all this that we've done this day? How could it? Well, it all, it's yours, and you made it happen. You know, the Corinthians were a proud people. The church is rather proud today, I might add. The Corinthians were a proud people. And they boasted in their teachers. Too much boasting in teachers today. And they boasted in their gifts. And Paul says, what you have, you've received. So why do you act as if you did not receive it? So people come all different. And I am not trying to dismiss the responsibility of men. We cannot do that. But now we're talking about God. And some people, God tries by giving them lots of brains. Will you serve me? Some people God tries by giving them lots of money. Will you fill the hand for me? Some people God tries by giving them illness. Will you stick to me when it costs? Some people God tries their hearts. Well, who knows how? We're all different. And David's saying, I know you try the hearts of men. And he's picking up language from the flood. When God looked down and all he saw was wickedness in their hearts continually. Now David is looking for God to try the hearts and put something there. A whole heart, a perfect heart, a Solomon heart, a heart that is happy in Jesus at rest. If you're disgruntled, discontent, then you are slamming God because it all belongs to God. And if you don't like your circumstances, they've come from God. If you don't like your person, the way you were made, he made you the way he wanted to make you. This is what David is saying. How could we, such people who are just like this compared to you up there, how could we do this great thing? Well, it comes from your hand. It was all yours. And you moved us. You stirred us up. And we provided it for your house. Then he moves 
into a petition. So he blesses, and the blessing moves from looking at the great God, looking down to our need, our dependence on the God, and now he adds a petition in verses 18 and 19. O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, and it, you could do a whole lesson on, on why, why he calls Jacob Israel in this context because Jacob is Jacob's personal name. It's used lots of times in the Old Testament. And Israel is his corporate name, including all the people of Israel. Why does he use Israel here? Our fathers uh, uh, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of thy people and direct their hearts to thee. Now, the word preserve is the word keep. It's the word guard. Okay, God, you've moved us. You stirred us to give all of this, to be devoted to you. Now, God, put this in our heart and keep it there. Let us not change, he's saying, and direct our hearts to thee. Now, you can't see it in the English, but if you are reading Hebrew, you would discover that Everything that was given, David in, in the numeric standard calls it a provision or a provided or the people provided. The word direct is the, word, the same word, provide. Lord, provide us this heart that seeks you. That's his petition. God, you're great. You got everything. You are the one that shapes people into what they will be. We're not much. Everything we are and have is all dependent upon you. You choose what to So now, Lord, look what you've done. Now keep that in our heart and provide us with a heart that is directed, given, driven towards you. Look at verse 19. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart, to guard thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do them all, and to build the temple, the citadel, for which I have made provision. Give Solomon a Solomon heart. And what is a Solomon heart? A Solomon heart is a heart that guards God's word. Now, the church is not guarding God's word. I don't know how many times I've said this. I'm not sure that everybody believes me. The church is giving up on God's word. And here he's saying, okay, what we need, God, is we need perfect hearts, Solomon hearts, hearts that rest in you. So when we look at your word, yeah, we say, that is great. We need Psalm 1 again in the church. Blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the pathway of sinners, nor sit down in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, and his leaf will not wither, and he shall prosper in whatever he does. 
By doing what? Meditating on the law. It's a sad thing that in evangelical circles we've so separated going to heaven from the Old Testament law. Now, if you trusted Jesus, everything's good. Now, if you trusted Jesus, you can never lose your salvation. Of course, I believe that. But then there are all those threats in the Bible. Hold fast. Hang on. Look what he said to Solomon. If you forsake him, he will reject you for... Don't do that, Solomon. Solomon did it. Of course, we believe that when we come to Christ, we're kept safe. Not because we're wonderful, but because he's wonderful. But there are a whole lot of people that have professed they've come to Christ that will not be kept safe because they will forsake him. And in some sense, they were lacking that abiding faith. They only had what in the parables is called temporary faith. There's some kind of distinction there. So there it is. Okay, God, we did this. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It was really you, the great one, the powerful one, the victorious one, the majestic one, the beautiful one. You did all this, and you moved our hearts to do it. Now, give us that heart to the people and to my son so that we hang on to you. And how do you hang on to God? Well, you hang on to him by what he says. That's how you hang on to God. You hang on to him by his word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Oh, how I love your law, says the psalmist in 119. I meditate on it day and night. Is that what we are? That's what David's prayer for Solomon is. Give him, guard him with this kind of heart. That's what David's prayer for the people is. Give them this kind of heart. Well, our, our time, I know, is gone, but look at verse 20. Then David said to all the assembly, Now, bless Yahweh your God. And all the assembly blessed Yahweh, the God of their fathers, and they bowed down and did homage to Yahweh and to the king. Now, if you have an ESV, you just need to take a pencil and scribble out the word head. Bowed their heads. They did not bow. They did not do the American thing, Lord Jesus. Remember, when Jesus prayed, he lifted his eyes. Ooh. <laughs> he lifted his eyes up to heaven. We say, oh, yo, you got to close your eyes and bow your head. There are two words here. Both words are translated two different ways in the Old Testament. Bow and worship. When you get them together, usually one's translated bowed. Bowed low. You bend way over before the king. You know. No. You bend down. You get low. They bowed low. And what were they doing? They were worshiping. And that's part of their blessing. How do you tell somebody they're great? Well, you can do it with words. I'm sure they had some words. 
You can show them respect that makes them into somebody. It shows they're somebody. Or in a regal situation, you bow down. God, you're up here. I'm this low. They blessed. Okay, our time's gone, so I'm going to summarize the rest. So what they did is they gave offerings. 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, 1,000 rams. I should have said lambs. Uh, and these are ascension offerings. And with each ascension, there's other things that go with it. And when you see the word sacrifice, the word sacrifice in the Old Testament, almost every time, almost every time, that is the word for a peace offering. So you remember, when you do the offerings in order, you have the ascension. The whole thing burns up except the skin, and you go up to God. You're stripped naked in this animal. You lay your hands on the head, and you go up to God. And he brings you in, and you meet with God. You're at peace with God. And in giving that offering, you bring, oh, our Bibles say a grain offering. It's a tribute. You bring the works of your hands, the grain you grew in your field, and you bring some and you give it to the priest, and the priest takes a memorial proportion of it, and he puts it on this ascension that's going to go up, and this memorial portion is a remembrance of you when you go up. Look what he did. And then after that, you offer peace offerings. So, they had a great contribution because God moved them, stirred their hearts. The next day, they had a great celebration. And Solomon was installed with, as king by anointing. And Zadok the priest was anointed as Zadok the priest during Solomon's period. And they had a party because, well, all the ascensions, of course, they went up, they're totally burned up. You can't eat those. God ate all of that. But now you got all these peace offerings that go with the ascension plus extra ones that are brought. And the whole assembly, the nation of Israel, celebrates with food and libation with food and wine before the Lord, or as you would say, right in the face of the Lord. In other words, he's at the party too. And what are they doing? Well, I can tell you what they're doing because all you gotta do is look around scripture what they're doing. They're eating, they're drinking, and they're dancing, and they're singing psalms to the Lord. They're having a party because Yahweh has set a king on his throne, and his name is Solomon. And Solomon's name is Rest. And Solomon comes to the throne for one main purpose, build the temple, the citadel. And what does Israel realize? Well, the land's at rest. Now the citadel's being built, and God's going to come right into our midst, and he's going to rest with us. To put it in Pauline terminology, 
Having been justified, therefore, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And in just a minute, we're going to eat at that table. We're going to eat food, and we're going to drink wine, and Jesus is with us, and we're going to sing a psalm. Let's stand. You are the great, the mighty, the powerful, the glorious, the beautiful, the weighty, the one who has made everything in heaven and on earth. You own it all, and you make everything happen. And so we pray that you be gracious to us because we're just sojourners and foreigners in this land and there will be no abiding, we will die. But we thank you that in Christ there is a great resurrection day, and then will come the ultimate, the triumphal party, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we thank you that we have a foretaste of it right now here at the table the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we thank you for speaking to us, and we thank you now that you invite us to the table to feed us on kingly food, heavenly food, food that came down from heaven. Lord, I pray that you would bless everybody in this room, and I pray that you would give to us a perfect heart, a heart directed to you, a heart that has stayed on your word. And I pray, Lord, that if there are people here who don't find God's word delightful, that they would believe you and, as you say, if you seek me, I will make myself known. So do that for us. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.